And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl, my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, we'll have a very special guest live in the studio. Tell you who that is in a minute. But uh, then it's Willard Waterman starring as Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve on part one of a comedy installment of The Great Gildersleeve from 1951. But first, let me say hello to my co-host with the mostest, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. What's up? What's happening? Well, we've got a little stargazing to do. Okay. And I've been reading all about the Family Affair 50th anniversary celebration. Oh, uh, one of my is, favorite television shows of all time. You know, I was going to say, we both grew up watching Family Affair. Yes, and I had was... quite the crush on Kathy Garver. Is that right? Who played Sissy on that show. Yes, I'm familiar quite with her. Quite the crush. Well, it was an iconic show. People are still talking about it today, and it uh, it debuted September 12, 1966. Truly amazing, and ran through 1971. Wow, so 50th anniversary. Isn't that amazing? Now, speaking of Kathy Garver, um, she's in the news right now. She just recently wrote a book called Ex-Child Stars, Where Are They Now? Yes, I have um, seen it. I don't have a copy yet, but I will get a copy of it. Written by, of course, the talented Kathy Garver. And you know what? I've read her two other books, though. Yes. And I have them. One of them is called Surviving Sissy, and the other one is the Family Affair Cookbook. Exactly. I know we've we've had the opportunity to speak to her before, but this is her newest book. It's a collection of stories about various child stars, which spans the 50s through the 80s. Wow. Um, so, you know, and I think... I don't know. She might even be planning some kind of a sequel to this as well. So this is very, very exciting. Cool. All right. Thanks, Lisa Wolf. Sure. You know, we have a live guest in the studio. You know who it is? I do. All right. <laughs> Let's play the theme. Everybody knows that theme, and everybody knows who you are. Hi, Kathy Garver. How are you? I am great, Carl. Hi, Lisa. How are you? We're so excited to be in the room with you and have the chance to talk to you face-to-face. Well, thank you. You were stargazing, and I was your star. And speaking of stars, uh, on Saturday night, I just went to the Adler Planetarium in Chicago, saw a lot of stars because it was their big gala fundraising. It was just gorgeous. Oh, yeah, Adler planetarium is awesome it's fabulous you know what i tell you and i was uh i was saying a little earlier how i had a major crush on you as a as a kid well what do you mean had I, well no i'm yes. gonna i'm gonna quantify <laughs> this blush, i don't want to get in trouble she's a married lady well you can still have a crush right, from, a, from across the table i still have a crush on you but i gotta tell you you know what i'm sure you get that a lot when you go and you meet with people i'm sure men my age fit in their 50s 
say, you know, I just, you were, I mean, amazing on that show and you were like my first crush. And I always say, well, what happened to that crush? <laughs> <laughs> and do you know what I've been getting lately? Cause I've been doing some autograph shows and book signings and people will come up to me and, and even my crush fellows is, well, you haven't even changed. No, you haven't. You look you're absolutely. <laughs> well, come you on, seriously, you're absolutely were beautiful then, and you're beautiful gorgeous. Now. You are a gorgeous woman. Oh my gosh, well, your husband's a lucky man. And here's the thing: I feel like we know you. You, we grew up with you. You yeah. were in our homes. You were in our bedrooms and in our living rooms. And we feel some kind of kindred spirit with you. And yeah. I know I do. Everybody and I knows think you do. when you say sissy. Of they course. all know who Sissy is, right? I mean, like, yep. you're the most famous Sissy there is. Well, thank you. And, you know, it's interesting because then there were only three stations. We had the CBS yes. and NBC and ABC. Right. And now we have 946 or whatever yeah. it, it is. It was a simpler time, I tell you. It was you. a simpler time, but all those people were watching it. Yeah. Mm. And I was coming into those rooms, as you say, Lisa, with the whole family sitting there. Right. And it was such a warm feeling. Right. Our show was also on film, yeah. which I think even makes something it that made you're it watching. Warmer. Yeah. And it was color from day one, right? Oh my gosh. See, that's yes. the thing. There was a lot of black and white television and then color was starting to happen. Like, you know, you watch Gilligan's Island and the early ones yeah. are in black and white. And then they said, hey, you know, this color thing, it might be, it might be a, a newfangled fad, but let's try it in color. But Family Affairs started in color and stayed in color the full, se- how many seasons? Five seasons. Yeah. Yes, there were a lot of firsts on Family Affair, and that was one of them. And that was the, if people remember the very beginning of the shows, there was that big kaleidoscope. Yes. So yes. just yeah. in case that they didn't get that the show is in color, here is the first time and one of yeah. the very first shows. And it was a very progressive a- show for very, its time. Very, very. much so. It, here was... Uh, a bachelor right. uncle, yeah, you know, no relation to the family because it had been mom and dad and the kids, or and then they went so far as maybe a father and the kids, but not a, you know, no relative relation yeah. to, to the kids, and uh, so it broke a, like kind of a lot of rules. Yeah, and even some of the shows that we did, you know, even though it was a warm and a dramedy. Yeah. Uh, combination of the comedy and the drama, we would be dealing with like the Peace Corps mm-hmm. or we were, mm-hmm. you know, he, Sissy wanted to be a hippie. Right. So we would take the whole culture in and put that into the show yeah. in a very family situation. And how old when you uh, were you when you started on that show? Six. <laughs> you were laughing because it's my 50th anniversary. <laughs> Don't you laugh, Carl. Yeah. You know I'm 39. <laughs> Of course, we're all 39 here. But the reason why I ask you this, Kathy, is because I want to ask you, you were obviously a very, uh, you know, uh, teenager, this beautiful teenager, and they, and you were very, very sexy. I mean, come on, you really were on that show and you still are now. And so how did they relate to that? What did they do with that? I mean, did they sort of try to make you not look so sexy because it was such a family show? Because, I mean, you were, you know, well, you know, what, I never 17, felt... 18 on there at one point. Yes. Well, and but the thing is, I, I was over 18, 
but I was a very innocent 18. Yes, yeah. And so if I, w- if I was sexy, I didn't have any realization of that. And I, I mean, I was very virginal and I was, yeah. you yeah. know, and so I operated and also as an actress, I was playing younger. So I really took that on and played that part. Right. And it's interesting because in my book, The Ex-Child Stars, Where Are They Now?, I do a summation at the end after I go through the biographies of a lot of these kids. And I say, well, now why can some of the child stars make it through a transition and become wonderful adults like and, and good actors like Ron Howard or Jodie Foster mm-hmm. or Brooke Shields? Mm-hmm. And a lot of them can't. Because as a child, like Buffy and Jodie or whomever, they're hired because they're cute they can be smart, they hit their lines, they hit their marks, and they say their lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, as they grow older, they haven't developed any acting skills. Mm. They only know how to be cute, be themselves, yeah. learn their lines, and hit their marks. Right. So, unless they go to a school, I, yeah. I went to UCLA, graduated mm-hmm. with speech and mm-hmm. master's in, in theater arts, went to Uda Hagen, went to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Wow. So, there was a lot of ballast sure. to my acting and I was able to make the transition. Unfortunately, this is just one reason why some of the mm-hmm. ex-child stars were not able to really Go over that hump. Well, I want to get back to the book in a minute, but let's talk about the early days, some of the early, early acting that Kathy Garver did. One of them uh, is in the movie The Ten Commandments. You're sitting on Charlton Heston's knee in a picture that I've seen. So tell us about that experience and being directed by Cecil B. DeMille. And the Ten Commandments is also having an anniversary this year. And I'm not even going to say how many years that is. <laughs> and this was, as you say, one of my very early parts. And I was just hired like as an extra and to be sitting on a wagon going through the dirt road at the beginning of the exodus. Well, all of a sudden I hear this big voice. Don't let that little girl's face get in the camera. I said, "Ooh, who is that? Is that God? <laughs> I said, is he talking to me? Well, it happened to be that he was talking to the associate producer who came and put a blanket, you know, next to me and partially hid me. After the scene was over, he lifted me off the wagon. I went to see DeMille. DeMille wrote scenes into the movie for Charlton Heston and myself. And um, to commemorate this anniversary of Ten Commandments, this very classic picture of me sitting on a papier-mâché mountain and Charlton Heston <laughs> as Moses coming up to me and saying, are you afraid? And I said, no, but Rebecca is, <laughs> who is my doll, was now made into a pictorial post uh, mark for the U.S. Post Office. Oh, my gosh. You are kidding. That's no. fantastic. Is it out? Yes, just came out. Yes, so that is remarkable. Yes, it's quite an honor. So, so I was very happy. It is. So after Ten Commandments, I mean, you're in one of the biggest movies of all time. After Ten Commandments, television was sort of happening now, classic television, right? I know you were on a Jim Bowie episode. You were on The Millionaire or some of the other classic television shows that you appeared on. I did Armis Brooks. Oh, that wow. was one of my very wow. uh, first ones. I did Sheriff of Cochise. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of westerns going on at that time, and I I loved to do that. They were 
at the same time they were doing like the staged shows of Climax, oh, Matinee sure. Theater. Yeah. I did two or three of those. Mm-hmm. And I was doing radio. I was doing classic radio. Wow. I did one with uh, Betty Davis, who was oh, the narrator Whispering for Streets. Whispering Streets. Yeah. Whispering Streets. Yeah, Whispering Streets. Yes. Yeah. Oh, we've never played one of those, but I have some. Oh, and so, okay, so then you were doing the radio and television was there and then movies. And then all of a sudden you get, what, an audition for Family Affair? Yes, and I was going to UCLA at the time. And you were, what, 14, 15? No. She was in A little older. Yes. College. Okay. Yes, I was older. Okay. I, I started UCLA at 17. Okay. And um, I got this call and... They, my agent, Hazel McMillan, you know, Gloria McMillan did a lot oh, of classic sure, radio. Of course. She was on Armis Brooks. Yes. Yes. And her mother, Hazel McMillan, was my agent. Wow. And that was why Armis Brooks was my first thing oh, at my TV. Gosh, that's it, it's great. all just intermixed yeah. there. So they were looking for a little, uh, a teenage girl that uh, matched the other family because they had already well, they uh, cast the two younger, uh, kids, right? Right. Jody and Buffy. Right. And so they brought you in, and was Brian Keith part of any of that at this time? Well, the original casting was supposed to have been for a six-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy and a 15-year-old girl. Uh-huh. So they cast Anissa and Brian and Sebastian. Brian was working on The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming. And I did mean to say that twice. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Johnny Whitaker, as a little six-year-old, was on this movie. And he had already been cast in Family Affair, and he said, oh, he would just be darling to be in this show. Mm. So they, he, Brian suggested that to mm. the producers, and they said, well, yes. And so they made them twins. Mm. And that's why there's such a gap between the six-year-old and the 15-year-old, mm. because there was supposed to be a 10-year-old inside. Gotcha. Of but okay. it worked fine. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know. I became the iconic big sister to yeah. everyone. And so, you know, this this was a TV show now that came on the air in in the uh, what, what was the first 1966. year? Nineteen sixty six. Okay, nineteen sixty six. Yeah. And and this had a big giant movie star behind it. So you had Brian Keith. Okay, and he was a busy guy. So how did they deal with that? The fact that he had a busy schedule and TV is very uh, you know demanding. Well, not only demanding, but for a movie star to do a television series was kind of demeaning. Yeah. And so they hadn't realized how much that the television series was going to go out to how many millions of people, more millions of people would see them. So Don Thutterson, who was the producer, started this with Fred McMurray on My Three Sons. Mm. So what he did was say, look, we know you're busy. You only have to work for 45 days. And then you'll be off and you can do your movies. But the topper was, we'll give you a piece of the show. Yeah. Now, that hadn't been done right. to actors. They, wow. were, they were just acting. Yeah. Paid, oh, sure. They were on contracts. The they were on yeah. contracts. Yeah. yeah. And so here was a chance for him to make some real money and not work that much. Now, when you say 45 days, that's a total in a, in a year he worked 45 days on the show. The other 300 plus days he didn't have to work that's on, on Family Affair. Fred McMurray did. When Brian Keith came along to the same producer and on Family Affair, they upped it a little to 90 days. Ah. And, and really not even 90 days. Yeah. Um, and so you would shoot like multiple episodes at a time with Brian because he'd be there working. And how did you keep all that straight in your, in your mind as a, as a, as a young person? And these other two, uh, actors were even younger. 
and you're working on four or five different episodes simultaneously because you, you're in these scenes with Brian Keith. How was that all done? Determination. Yeah. And a good producer, probably, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, and a very, very good producer because we would do um, four different episodes, scenes from four different Wow. All the ones that Brian was in. Mm. So it might be three different episodes the next day and two totally different episodes the next day. Everything that... And then you'd go back later and fill in all the gaps. Yes, which, which caused some problems on occasion. Yeah, as, as continuity occurred. had to be stuck. You must have had a bunch of continuity people on that. We did. And then you had some errant teenagers like me who <laughs> might like one of the parts of the costumes and just kind of take it home and forget about <laughs> and it. And bring it back, right? <laughs> and, then, and then can't find it when the scene is... Do. And caused like absolute major hysteria, right? When yes. something like that happens, because you've shot scenes with it on, and now you have to shoot more scenes, and you don't have it on. Oh, these are the good memories now. When you go, when <laughs> you, go, you can laugh at it, Kathy, right. when you go back and watch Family Affair now, okay, uh, fifty years later, and you watch these, sh- I mean, this is a great series. I mean, I watch it now. This is really a well written, well acted series. Does it bring back just a flood of memories to you when you watch it? I mean, what's I mean, describe that to our listeners who have never done something like you you have done. It it is amazing and I look at it and to me it looks so modern. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons that it is so classic and it continues to be shown and the DVDs continue to be bought because a people relate to it, but even the settings um the in our Manhattan apartment, you could walk in that today and say, yeah, oh, did you just have great. your you know decorator come over? Sure. The clothing. And that was Mr. Federson's genius because here we are in the 60s with midi skirts and boots. Well, my skirts were just above my knees and, uh-huh. and had shoes that yeah. you would go out and buy today. Right. See, that's I mean, she wasn't meant to be sexy. I mean, she's a beautiful just girl. Is sexy, yeah. I mean, she's a beautiful girl, but she's really, I think, meant to look like the girl next door. Yeah. Really, that everybody well, can relate there's to. There's a picture of you on the cover of one of your books. <laughs> va, 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 boom. <laughs> um, so uh, we only have a few more minutes. I want to talk about the book, too. You have a new television show starting. It's called Star Watch. Tell us about that. Well, I am blessed to have a star on the Walk of Stars in Palm Springs that Sunday bonus started. Thank you. Oh, and the board of directors came and they asked if I would host a show. So we have half hour shows and each show I interview uh, two of the celebrities that have stars there. Mm. So we're starting production in October and I'm doing Trini Lopez mm. and then Lindsay Wagner from The Bionic sure. Woman and Gavin McLeod from Mary Tyler Moore in The Love Boat. And wow. So mm. I'm, I'm really looking that's forward great. to that. That's great. Yes. And that's going to air on television on a cable channel somewhere. Right. Okay. So when, when you know what that is, let us know. And then, um, so there was, there, so this is the, uh, the 50th anniversary of Family Affair. I and can't believe it. And third book. Yeah, third right? book. So tell yes. us about the book that people can get and how they can get it. And then we'll talk about the two other books too and your website, which is kathygarver.com. Very easy. And Kathy's with a K. kathygarver.com is where you can get all of her books. But is, uh, is this current book, which is called, uh, X Child Stars, Where Are They Now? Is it also available through Amazon and places like that? It's at, they say, all your favorite booksellers. So uh-huh. the, it's at Brick and Mortar. So oh, your Barnes and Nobles and Books a Million. So it's there. It's on Amazon. And if you want an autographed copy, if I'm not doing a signing in your neighborhood, I did one in Chicago and in Naperville. And, but 
you can go to my website mm-hmm. and I can autograph it. Yeah, well, um, this is the way you want to get it. And no offense to the brick and mortars and all that, but you want to get this book, folks, and you want to have Kathy sign it. That's how all my books are that are on my shelf. She signed them, and I feel very blessed and lucky, too. So you can get an autographed copy of this book. Go to kathygarver.com. And you have two other books. Tell us about those as well. Um, my first book was The Family Affair Cookbook that's still available, and that's on Amazon as well or my website. And every time a food was mentioned on Family Affair, there's a recipe to that's go along great. with it. That's and each great. character has their their own chapters and Surviving Sissy. The foreword was done by Patty Duke. Oh, who wow. Was my, oh, you know, yeah. And it was so sad because then when Ex-Child Stars came out, her picture is just right like there on the front cover, and mm-hmm. it came out just right after she passed yeah. away. Yeah, oh, that's sad. She was such a dear friend and such yeah. a wonderful actor. And I profile many of our wonderful child stars that, you know, from Ricky Nelson to Ron Howard mm. to some of the child stars that didn't have such a wonderful road, even yeah. like the little girl on my show, Anissa yeah. Jones. Yeah, oh, sure. Yes, who died she, she at She got 18. involved in drugs, in drugs, unfortunately. Drugs are no damn good. No, they're you. No, they're not. And uh, so make sure you check out all. And there's other goodies at your site. Like there's a candle. There's a sissy candle. There's uh, also some, a, a cologne or a perfume, right? That's right. And so there's other goodies at Kathy's website. And you know what, Kathy? Uh, we met years ago. Kathy, did you have a broken ankle or what was it that you had? You know, Carl is the warmest, nicest, sweetest person. Checks I absolutely in the mail. love Checks him. Checks in the mail. <laughs> I had a broken leg uh, and I had a cast on all the way from my ankle all the way up, and I'm sitting in this wheelchair with my leg out, and my stepson had just kind of wheeled me into the banquet, so I'm just kind of sitting there all alone, and this gentleman came up, and he said... Handsome gentleman. This very handsome gentleman came up, and he said, how are you? And we started chatting. He invited me to his table at dinner, and I... That began. And we've been lifelong friends. Well, ever since. I have to tell you, Kathy, that Carl is very proud of that story, and he's yeah, told I it love, multiple I times. So I, <laughs> I you have not it. heard it from me, Lisa. But not from you. It sounds better from you. And I just want to say, Kathy, congratulations on all your success, and we hope you keep on working because clearly you are the busiest woman uh, in show business. And you have, you have a, a, a drive. I love your yes. drive. She's amazing. She's just like a little gorgeous little woman. Boy, I'll Energizer tell you. Energizer bunny. Yes, you are. <laughs> KathyGarver.com. Go there. Check it out. Get her book. It's a terrific book. And have her autograph it for you by going to her website. Kathy, God bless you. I love you, my dear. Thank you. Same Thank you so much, Thank Kathy. You, Lisa. Let's take a break here on Hollywood 360. We'll be right back. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360 on uh, about 180 radio stations across the country. And here's a reminder, folks. If you ever miss any of Hollywood 360, just go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com. There's a podcast of our show that we put up every Monday. You'll get the, the uh, prior week's show on Monday plus a bonus hour of classic radio, so you don't want to miss that. Just go to Hollywood360radio.com. And also, check out our store. Buy something while you're there, right? Yeah, There's some classic radio shows there. Stuff. And you could uh, digitally download some of these programs. There's 10 free shows for you. There's all kinds of fun stuff at Hollywood360radio.com. 
Also, would you like to win a year's supply of Cat's Pride kitty litter? Lisa, tell our well, listeners all about that. Well, if you have a cat, that is one special prize. Um, each month, Dan Jaffe, the CEO of Cat's Pride, comes to the radio station and he gives away an entire year's supply of Cat's Pride kitty litter. It is the best on the market. You can find it in the green jug. It's their Cats new- tell me all the time that they like it better than any other kitty litter. I I, I tell you all the time, too. They write too. me. It's the best they write stuff me. around. They write you letters. Yeah. We do get a lot of letters, not too many from cats. Um, they but write you me. can find their newest product, the Fresh and Light Ultimate Care. It's in the green jug. And all you need to do is send a picture of you and your cat to catspridephoto at gmail.com. Be sure to include your name, your cat's name, your city and state. And we would love to make you a winner and give you an entire year supply of the finest kitty litter on the market. Now, to be perfectly clear, if you send that in, you'll be put into a drawing. And uh, But you know what? There's not like millions of people doing it each month. You have a very good chance of winning. Somebody wins every month. He just picks a name out of a hat, and that name may be yours. So do send us a picture of you and your kitty cat. Email it to us here at catspridephoto at gmail.com. All right, it's time for the great Gildersleeve. Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve was a very popular character appearing each week on the Fibber McGee and Molly radio show. And on August 31st, 1941, Gildersleeve landed his own situation comedy show called The Great Gildersleeve, and it became radio's first spinoff. Gildersleeve moved from the town of Wistful Vista to Summerfield, where he served as the town's water commissioner and uh, raised his orphaned niece Marjorie and nephew Leroy. The household also included a cook named Bertie. The Gildersleeve Show was the first to be centered on a single parent balancing raising children, work, and a social life accomplished with great taste and genuine wit. Radio veteran Hal Perry originated the role of Gildersleeve, but left the series at the height of its popularity in 1950, giving way to Perry's sound-alike and well-known character actor Willard Waterman. Waterman continued in the radio role until 1957 and also played the great Gildersleeve in a TV version syndicated in 1955. You know what, Lisa? Every time I think of Willard Waterman, it brings me back to a time when I was uh, first getting involved in classic radio and I went to a convention and it was called the Friends of Old Time Radio Convention and Willard Waterman was there and they did a re... Uh, they did a reenactment of a great Gildersleeve episode, and Shirley Mitchell was there as well, and she played Leela Ransom, and um, Willard Waterman, of course, played Gildersleeve, and I was cast as Leroy in that, and boy, do I wish I had a copy of that, because I was like, hey, Unc, you know, and he would, and I here I was at the microphone with Willard Waterman. He was very tall. Willard Waterman, and I'm Leroy, and then, you know, Shirley Mitchell was there as Leela, and then there was those other people, and then there was um, people that went to the convention that got a part. It was, you know, really great. Well, maybe there's some copy floating around somewhere. I wish, I wish I yes. had a copy of that. But, uh, but I digress. It's time for The Great Gildersleeve. This episode stars Willard Waterman as Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve from September 26, 1951. It's called Marjorie's Job with Gildy. Here's part one of The Great Gildersleeve. The Kraft Foods Company presents Willard Waterman as The Great Gildersleeve. The Great Gildersleeve is brought to you partially transcribed by The Kraft Foods Company. 
Well, it's evening at the great Gildersleeve's house, about the time when things should be settling down. But when there are active twins in the house at the explore, reach, and pull over everything stage, it keeps a young mother pretty busy. Be still, Linda. How can I get you into your nighty? <coughs> Unky, you'll have to keep an eye on Ronnie. I have my hands full. Yeah, all right, Marjorie. Just a minute. <coughs> you'll have to put down your newspaper. He's under the coffee table. <coughs> Good, then we know where he is. Mommy, don't touch that. What's he after? Your cigar. Oop. Ronnie, give me that. Let go. You, you can't have it. Cigars stunt your growth. Look at me. They're into everything, Anki. Yeah, they're cute. Now, Linda, you sit here in the middle of the floor while I take care of Ronnie. Now, where's his nighty? Ronnie, what did you do with it? He was trying to stuff it in Bronco's hat a moment ago. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. <laughs> now, Margie, perhaps he's planning to go out this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Mort, this isn't funny. If you had to put twins to bed every evening, they're little night owls, that's what they are. <laughs> Linda, don't touch the piano scar. Hey, you can't pull yourself up by that. You watch the bass. Now see what you did. Yeah, anyway, it didn't frighten her. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'll pick up the pieces. I just don't think I can take it much longer. Bronco! I don't know why the mother has to do everything. Now, Marjorie. Bronco! Honey. What is honey? Bronco Thompson. Can't she take a little responsibility for these children? Me? Well, yeah, sure. Why? Bronco, their mother's having a little trouble this evening. A little trouble? Oh, Marge, I'm sorry. I guess you've had a tough day. Come on, you two. Daddy will take care of you. Time for the twins, Bertie. You take one and I'll take the other. Will you, Bertie? Yes, ma'am. Marge is a little tired. Well, Miss Marge, you just relax. Oh, thank you, Bertie. Uh-huh. Come on, Ronnie, you plump little old dumpling. Let's go count sheep. Uh-huh. Ta ta, Ronnie. Good night, Linda. Here we go. Uh-huh. Yeah, see if you can get them to sleep, Bertie. Oh, that won't be no trouble. Bertie will have sheep jumping over the fence just like twins, two at a time. <laughs> That's right, my dear. Kick off your shoes and put your feet up here on the ottoman. You care for a part of the paper? Society section? No, thanks, Hunky. Let me see the classified section. The classified section? Yeah, there you are. Thank you. You and Bronco still looking for a second-hand sewing machine? Well, right now I'm looking for a job. A job? Marjorie, you're not serious. Yes, I am. I've definitely made up my mind. No, my dear. Did the events of the evening have anything to do with your decision? Of course not. I've been thinking about going to work for some time. You have? But Marjorie, Bronco makes a good living. But we can use the extra money. After all, we have a family. And someday we want a home of our own. One salary doesn't go far these days, Anki. Yeah, you have a point there. Uh, What about the babies? Well, they sleep most of the day, and Bertie's so wonderful with them. Yes, of course, you can depend on Bertie. 
think how much it had helped Bronco and the things we could do for the twins. Well, Marjorie, I admire your desire to contribute to the little family, but... I studied typing and shorthand in college. It's a shame to throw all that away. As well... I get excited just thinking about it. Think how much it would mean to us. I, George, Marjorie, I admire your pluck. If that's the way you feel, you have my blessing. Oh, thank you, Uncle Mort. It's your life and Bronco's, my dear. Whatever you two have decided is fine with your old uncle. Oh, um, I haven't mentioned it to Bronco yet. Yeah, your old uncle, you haven't mentioned it to Bronco yet. Oh, he's coming now. I'll talk to him. Well, everything's calm again, Marge. That's what he thinks. It's just a calm before the storm. <laughs> Honey, sit down here by me. Uh, I don't know a better place. Well, I guess I'd better leave you two alone. Uh, no, you stay here, Anki. Uh, what's going on? Bronco, I was just telling Uncle Mort, I've decided to go out and get a job. What's this? I'm going to help out with the money. I'm going to be a secretary. A secretary? You? My wife? Uh-huh. You see, Bronco... I forbid it. Hey, what's going on? Now, wait a minute, Bronco. What does he forbid? What's going on here? Leroy, let you and I keep out of this. I don't know what I'm in. <laughs> Marjorie, I forbid it. Well, Unky thinks it's all right. He gave me his blessing. Mr. Gildersleeve, did you do that? You, well, Bronco. Hey, what's Unk's blessing? Regardless of your uncle, Marjorie, of whom I'm very fond, you're not going to do it. What isn't she going to do? Bronco, darling, I am going to. What is she going to do? I can support my family. I can pay the bills. Marge, your place is here. Is she leaving him? <laughs> no, Leroy, it's just a silly discussion. What's so silly about a man wanting his wife in his home? You, well, you're right, Bronco. Uncle Mort, not two minutes ago you said what a help I would be. You, well, that's right too, Marge. <laughs> What's going on? Who's right? I don't know. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> So, that's why I had to get out of the house, Judge. It must have been quite uncomfortable for you, Gilda. I never should have taken sides. I got trapped right in the middle. Well, it's hard to keep from getting trapped with a middle as big as yours. <laughs> Judge, please. This is a family crisis. Now, Gilda, you're exaggerating. It needn't become a crisis at all. Yeah, you don't think so? Gilda, if I were you, I'd give Marjorie a job. Give her a job? Me? Your secretary is on vacation. Ask Marjorie to take her place for a while. Say, that's an idea. It won't last. We all know Marjorie is a natural homemaker. You bet. She'd never be happy away from the twins. Well, at the time she made her decision, she was probably annoyed with her daily chores. As the saying goes, man works from sun to sun, but woman's work is never done. Right, George, I'll get Marjorie to go to my office tomorrow morning. You think it'll work, Judge? Well, Gildy, if you want her to become bored with office work, I can't think of a more boring office. <laughs> Watch it, Judge. Sweet of you, Unky, but I really want a permanent job. 
Your secretary will be back next week. Well, Marjorie, consider it a little refresher course. You can start today. Today? Sure. Yeah, I told you last night, but you'd gone to bed when I came home. Oh, that's wonderful. I'll take care of the twins, then get dressed in a hurry and go down with you. Well, there'll be a lot of work to do. I run a busy office. You better eat a good breakfast. Oh, I'm too excited to eat. Say, speaking of eating, where's Bronco? Oh, he'll be down. He's upstairs sulking. Well, I'll talk to the boy. I'm sure he'll go along with my idea. What's everybody so happy about? Well, good morning, Bronco. Oh. Good morning, darling. Don't you have a kiss for your little wife? Well. Anyway, I have one for you. Because you're the most understanding husband in the world. Oh? Why? I'll be ready in a few minutes, Anki. What goes on here? Hey, hey, Bronco. Mr. Gildersleeve, I smell a plot. Yes. It's like this, Bronco. Since Marjorie thinks she wants to go to work, I decided the thing to do is let her start in my office. Your office? Mr. Gildersleeve, I am unalterably opposed to my wife taking a job. But, Bronco, don't you see? The water department will drive her crazy. It apparently has its effect on people. <laughs> hey, you bet. And I fix it so that before the day is out, Marge, you'll never want to see another office. Oh? Hey, listen, my boy, listen. I'm going to pile on the work. Yeah, I know it's a sneaky thing to do, but the result, it'll be worth it. Well, it'll be worth it if it gets this silly idea out of her head. Sure, can't miss. I'm going to pour it on. I'm even having all the jolly boys call the department and make fake complaints. Peavy, Floyd, the office is going to be in Bedlam. Hey, what's going on? It'll start jumping at 9 o'clock. What's going to start jumping? Good morning, Leroy. Hi, what's going to start jumping? Mr. Gildersleeve, the plan might work. What plan might work? Yeah, glad you agree, Bronco. Yes, sir. That's pretty clever. What's pretty clever? You meet me this afternoon outside the office. Yeah, I'll be there a quarter of five. Why are you going to be there at a quarter of five? Yeah, boy, Bronco. I want you to be present when Marjorie throws in the sponge. <laughs> Mr. Gildersleeve, I have to hand it to you. Who's throwing in a sponge? <laughs> now, Leroy, this doesn't concern you. Okay, so it doesn't concern me. Things are going to start jumping. Meet me at a quarter of five. Throw in the sponge, but I don't get in on it. Big deal! <laughs> Well, Mr. Gildersleeve, I'm right on time. Yep, quarter of five. Let's sneak into the outer office and check on our little working day. <laughs> I tried to call your office today to see how Marge was getting along, but the line was always busy. Yeah, that's the way I had it planned. The Jolly Boys have been great. Good old PB phone to put in a complaint about the service. Chief Gates even had a couple of his trustees call from the jail. Good for Chief Gates. Yeah, and Floyd, the barber's been calling all day using assumed names. There's the phone now. Water Department. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait, Bronco. Uh, just a moment. I have the figure right here. September 1st, the water level at the reservoir was 45 feet, as contrasted with 38 a year ago. Say, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, excuse me, the other phone is ringing. Oh, all right. Goodbye. Uh, Summerfield Water Department. Boy, is she busy. Uh, what did I tell you? You say Mr. Gildersleeve hasn't taken care of that? Well, I'll, I'll attend to it right away. Well, he's out of the office a lot. Mm. 
<laughs> I'll see that he gets the message. Thank you for calling. Goodbye. <clears throat> oh, well, what can I do for you two gentlemen? Marge, aren't you ready to go home? You had a hard day, my dear? Oh, I've been busy, Unky, but I love it. <laughs> you do? I took care of all the correspondence on your desk. Say, you did. Uh-huh, and the phone has been ringing constantly. It's been more fun. Mr. Gildersleeve, she says she's been having fun. Yes, well, I... And Unky, your barber, Mr. Munson, has been so cute. He's called five times making complaints. Each time he gave me a different name, but I recognized him every time. <laughs> Mr. Gildersleeve, what have you done to my happy home? Now, Bronco, I... Oh, excuse me, I'll get this one. You want a department? Freud, get off the line. <laughs> the customary harmony in the water commissioner's household seems to be at ebb tide. When Marjorie wanted to take a job and her husband Bronco didn't want her to, somebody had to step in with a solution. And who'd think the great Gildersleeve would come up with a plan that wouldn't work? Bronco, I did everything I could to make her dislike working at the office. You know, I thought this would be just a passing fancy. Actually, I think Marjorie's place is in the home the same as you do. Mr. Gildersleeve, I'd rather not discuss it. Rocco, where are you going? I'm going for a walk and cool off. <laughs> Youth. Mr. Gillespie, was that somebody coming in or going out? Going out, Bertie. Bronco. Yes. What's Marjorie doing? She's upstairs having a fine time putting the babies to bed. Tonight, I thought she'd be bushed. Yes. <laughs> Bertie, I have to think of some way to get things on an even keel. Yes, sir. Of course. I don't know why I'm worried about it. It's their problem. I did my part. You sure did. (laughs) I had no way of knowing, Marge, you'd like the job. No, sir. I'm not infallible. No, sir. I'm no miracle worker. No, sir. Uh, Might be a good idea if I went to bed and covered up my head. Yes, sir. I, George, I've got to get Marjorie out of my office somehow today. A little uncomfortable at the breakfast table this morning. I never saw a son-in-law with such a cold, fishy eye. Yeah, maybe one of Peavy's cokes will give me a lift. Hello, Peavy. Hello, Mr. Jellisley. What can I do for you this morning? Yeah, I'll have a coke, Peavy. Yeah, well... I'll give you an extra large squirt. <laughs> Why is that, Phoebe? Well, I imagine you need it, Mr. Gildersleeve. I take it you're having a little trouble with your son-in-law. You have uh, a tempest in the teapot, Phoebe. Uh, Bronco dropped in here last night and the pot was boiling. Who? <laughs> no? What did he have to say? Do you really want to know? No, Phoebe. Yeah, I realize Bronco's upset with me, but deep down in his heart, he knows I want to do the right thing. The boy has a great respect for me. No, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah, maybe you better tell me what he said. Well, he said if Marjorie wanted to take a job and make the money, he just might give up his. 
Gee, he didn't. He did, too. He said he was going to spend the morning in the pool hall. Oh, my goodness. And this afternoon, he thought he'd drift out to the college and watch the football team practice. Yelfer, he can't do that, Petey. That might not hurt, Mr. Gildersleeve. You know, sports are a fine thing to get a man's mind off his troubles. I was a great football fan myself when I attended Pruitt Pharmaceutical College. That's uh, my alma mater, you know. Yeah, I know, Petey, I know. I wouldn't want this to get out, Mr. Gildersleeve, but I... I used to be a cheerleader. Oh? Mm-hmm. Megaphone and everything. <laughs> I used to stir them up, I'm here to tell you. They called me Pepper Peavy. <laughs> Pepper Peavy? Yeah, that name hardly fits now. No, I don't know. With a vivo, with a vivo, with a vivo, vivo, vum. Yofer. Johnny get a rat trap bigger than a cat trap. Johnny get a cat trap bigger than a rat trap. Peavy. Countable, six boom, bop, poor pharmaceutical, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> I'm glad that's over. No, it isn't. We followed that to the double locomotive. P. R. U. I. Phoebe! Phoebe, stop! Okay, well. (laughs) I can plainly say you don't care whether Pruitt wins or not. (laughs) Pruitt Fooey. Goodbye, Pepper Peavy. And that's part one of The Great Gildersleeve from September 26, 1951 with Marjorie's Job with Gildy, starring Willard Waterman. We'll have part two, the conclusion, on our next edition of Hollywood 360. But first, these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next time, it's the conclusion to The Great Gildersleeve from 1951. Then we'll rocket into the future for a high-flying sci-fi adventure of Dimension X from 1950. Hope